Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, as we cover the gospel according to John Mark. Let me remind you that it is a rapid pace that John Mark takes us through, quickly moving from place to place, although today he's going to slow down just a little bit. Probably the longest chapter in Mark, if we look at him, I think it might be. I wasn't sure I was running through it. Um, and in our last lesson, we've seen Jesus, he come back to his headquarters there in Capernaum um, and meets Jairus, whose daughter is dying. The daughter is 12, and on the way to go into Jairus' house, there's a woman who has an issue of blood, and she touches Jesus' hem. And end up, we see really kind of like his public ministry where he, he, he heals her out in the open with everybody looking. And then we see a private ministry kind of like where he takes uh, the three boys, uh, John and James and Peter, inside with him. And he heals uh, Jairus' daughter. So it's kind of like there's things that he wants people to see and there's things that he don't because he's becoming so popular and they want to make him king. They want to take him and put him on a throne. And yet, listen, listen, there's people who want to put him on a throne, on the throne of their lives, and they want to live for Jesus. And then there's other people that say no to God. No. And the fool has said in his heart, no to God. Because God is the only one offering free salvation. He's the only one that's capable of offering a Messiah that can save you from the pit of hell. And everybody is born knowing that this is going on. And you have to suppress that knowledge. You have to fight really hard to ignore God who loves you with such a great love. And we run around deceived thinking, I'm just looking for somebody to love me. I'm just looking for a place to belong. I'm just looking for help. And here's God with his arms stretched wide in his love hanging on a cross who died for us. And we know that's not what I want. No, that's not going to satisfy. No, that's not going to do it. And we ignore the God who loves us so much and is the only one that can give us that type of love and place us in a family with that kind of hope and that mercy and grace. And yet we'll see today that even his own family rejects him. I don't know if you knew that, but Jesus' own family didn't believe in him until after he died and rose again. Many times that happens. Let's look then. We come to chapter 6, verse 1. We'll read and then come back and make some comments as normal. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And with what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. 
But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he had laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Also he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house... Stay there till you depart from that place, and whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Let's pray. Father, we need to hear from you. So we ask, Lord, that you would speak clearly to our hearts. That you would allow our spirit, soul, and body to be sanctified. That our soul, our mind, will, and emotions would receive with meekness the implanted word and be changed for your glory. Help us to hear from you today and help us to say yes, yes, and yes to your great salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 6-1 of the Gospel of Mark. Then he went out from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. Now, his own country is Nazareth. That's the town he was raised in. We know he was born in Bethlehem. Jesus is the bread of life, and he was born in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And I love to always point out these things because when you see that God hides things in the Scriptures for those who will come seeking them, you find out the greatness of God even more and more every day. You cannot exhaust the Scriptures because the deeper you go, the deeper He will take you, the more He will show you and reveal to you. As you draw near, He always uncovers His truth and helps you to see it so that you can believe more and more in Him. And really, as you go through the Scriptures, what's it for? Why are we in the Scriptures? Yes, fellowship with God. Yes, fellowship with one another. Yes, to grow in the Word. But it's because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. As you read the Scriptures, and you hear in your heart the things that God has done, the things that He's going to do, the things that He's doing in your life, and you see the faithfulness, it grows your faith as you begin to follow it. Faith is not something that you have of your own. He gives you a mustard seed of faith to believe. And when He gives it to you, now it's up to you and your choice to tend it like a garden, to take care of it. And if you listen to the world and you ignore your faith, if you ignore the Word of God, you will walk away and say, oh, never meant nothing to me. Yet God has given you such a great gift 
a gift of faith, a mustard seed of faith that needs to grow. And the only way to grow it is to be in the Word and to share it with others. He went out, he comes to his own country, he's in the city of Nazareth. That's why we call him Jesus Christ of Nazareth, not Bethlehem. And his disciples followed him. Listen to me, a disciple is a learner. Listen, this is interesting because we're not called to make believers. We give witness, his disciples give witness and share truth. And then when people receive it in their conscience, the Holy Spirit brings them into salvation and they become a believer priest. But we are commanded to make disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, Jesus speaking, after resurrecting from the dead, all authority, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples, learners, pupils of all nations. Baptize them. Identification. In the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit. And teach them, instruct them to obey all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, He's there with you. It's not you doing it. It's not me teaching. It's the Holy Spirit that teaches. But we first must humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. We first must believe Him. We first must begin to follow Him. Become a disciple. There's many people that say they're believers. And then they have what we call demon faith. Because they do nothing with what they believe. The demons believe and they fear and tremble. They don't obey. They don't go and tell anybody. They try to deceive everybody by a life that they live, by the things that they do. They have no character of Christ, but they say, we believe. And they're going to be cast into hell to the abyss. So we need to be real careful not to have demon faith. We're supposed to go and do what God has commanded us. So his disciples did what disciples do. They followed Follow means to be in the same way with, to accompany as a disciple, to be in the same way with. Listen to me. You have, you have two ways that you can go. You have the world and you have the way Christ is showing us in the truth of the word of God. The highway to heaven. It's called an Isaiah. Listen to me. Two ways. I know you think there's all these other religions and there's all these other ways. There's two ways. There's the world that's underneath the sway of the wicked one. It's the way the devil wants you to follow. It's the place we were born into with a sin nature. And then there's Jesus who is the way, not a way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And right now, as I'm talking about this, you need to know which way am I following? Which way am I choosing? You can't follow both. You can only choose one way. And if you haven't wholeheartedly chosen to follow Jesus in his word and be a disciple, then you're really following the other way, which is earning to sway the devil, which is really being a disciple of the devil. You're learning how to live evil. You're training your, your sin nature to keep deceiving yourself. You're training yourself to keep living according to the world if you're not 
actively practicing righteousness to follow in the way. And his disciples follow him. Doesn't mean we don't mess up. It doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. That's part of life. But overwhelmingly, our heart is to be for Jesus, for his way. That's not an excuse. I did not just give you an excuse to sin. I gave you a direction, an instruction to follow. Follow the way. Verse 2. And when the Sabbath had come, now Sabbath would be Friday night at sundown or around 6 o'clock until Saturday at 6. It was the Jewish day of worship. He began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Again, the Sabbath in the synagogue. He was teaching wherever he went. But the only time he could actually have a crowd is when they met, or excuse me, not a crowd, but the Jewish people to gather together is in the synagogues. And they would take itinerant preachers and, and they would let them speak. But remember that he first was in this same synagogue in Luke chapter 4. You can read about it. The last time he was here, they tried to kill him. This is the second time. It could be a mirror of, of um, uh, uh, the nation of Israel rejecting him. Remember, remember they tried to, he read from Isaiah uh, 61, I think, maybe, and says this scripture is fulfilled today. And then he went and sat down, and they were outraged. They were, they were with wrath against him, and they led him out of the city, and were going to throw him over a hill. This is in his own town. He didn't give up on them. Now, later in the middle of his ministry, he's come back again to Nazareth. And he's sharing again in their synagogues. And he's teaching. Why are they listening? Because they've heard all the testimony from everybody else. They've heard the miracles he's doing. They know that he healed, that he raised Jairus' daughter. They know that he's healed the leper now. And they're hearing all of these things about Jesus. So they're curious. And they let him share again in their synagogue. He begins to teach, which teach means instruct, to give instruction. And what does it say about them? They were astonished. They were amazed. They were amazed. Now notice what they say. They hear and they're amazed. They hear and they're astonished. I'm in verse 2. Where did this man get these things? See, it wasn't like the rest of the teachers. He wasn't teaching what the, the, the common school from Hebrew High was teaching. He wasn't teaching what the other rabbis were teaching. Because they were teaching man's doctrine. And there's no life in man's doctrine. They were teaching what other teachers had taught them. And he, he's teaching from a relationship with the Father. He's teaching from being truth. He's teaching from knowing where he came from. And they were astonished. Where did he get these things? What wisdom, Sophia is the Greek word there, wisdom. Listen, many people have knowledge, 
Many people know, like I said before, and it's demon knowledge. It's knowledge that puffs up. It's knowledge that we never do anything with. But wisdom from God, because there can be earthly, central, demonic wisdom that gives you wisdom how to be evil, but there can also be wisdom from God. And it's when, it, it, this wisdom teaches you not just what to say, but when to say it, how to say it to each individual person because you're listening to the Spirit of God. So it's said differently. You have wisdom to use the knowledge that you have to bring people to salvation, to bring people to God. It's no good to have wisdom and knowledge if it's not bringing people to salvation. If the Holy Spirit isn't working and you waste a lot of words when you shouldn't have been saying anything... You're still disobeying God because he's asked you to be still. Notice what goes on. They see. They hear. His own words. They've heard of the mighty works that he's done. The miraculous word. The word is dunamis. It's what. Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive dudamus, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses for me throughout Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's the same power that you and I can be given if we surrender our lives to Jesus. They've seen his dudamus power, his mighty works that he's done with his own hands. But what did it produce in them? See, a lot of people say, well, if I could have seen him raise the dead, or if I could have seen a miracle, or if I could see this, or I could see that, I would believe. They've seen it. They heard about it. They know that his fame is going throughout all the land. See, miracles and wonders and these signs, they don't produce saving faith. You can hear about it all you want. It's an act of your will, believing, when he gives you this mustard seed. What are you going to do with it? Look, they're not converted. They don't become converted. There's no conversion. They're amazed. They're astounded. But they put no faith with it. Actually, the word astonished here, you know what it means? It's from a word that means to inflict with calamity. They don't know what to think of it. You know why? They have too much information, maybe. Let's look what verse 3 says. Is this not the carpenter? Listen to me. This is very important. Is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary? And brother of James? Wrote the book of James. Camel knees. Because he prayed so much. He got saved after Jesus resurrected. Hot sand and his knees in him they called him camel knees he had calluses on his knees joseph judas wrote the book of jude simeon simon and are not his sisters here with us so they were offended at him really let's break this down a little bit number one the Catholic Church falsely preaches that Mary was a perpetual virgin 
the Bible teaches over and over that she had sons and daughters. The sons' names are given, the daughters' names are not. So her and Joseph had other children after the Holy Spirit came upon her as a virgin, and she was found with child, which was Jesus. You can read about that in Luke 1. The virgin birth is real. Isn't this the carpenter? Think about it. Think about what happens in America because we have churches on every corner. Think about it when you grow up in church and you go, I'm too familiar with this. And you become complacent and you become contemptible to the gospel message. Because you've been lulled to sleep by the goodness of God. You've been lulled to sleep by familiarity with God. Oh yeah, I heard that before, Greg. I have heard that sermon. I'm gonna, I think I'll just sleep. I'm going to check out right now. Listen, when you check out from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are checking into hell. Listen to me. If you don't want to hear the truth of God, you want to hear the lie of the devil, and you want to go in that way. You have to make these rational decisions in your mind. Do I want to go to hell for eternity or do I want to live with Jesus? And that takes some grown up putting on your big boy pants and deciding I want to listen to Jesus. It's not a joke. This is about our souls. And yet the church in America is so familiar with the things of Jesus that everybody thinks, because I said a prayer, I'm saved. That's demonic faith. Just to say a prayer, the demons sit around and go, how can we trick them into going to hell and make them think they're okay? And the demon said, let's tell them that there's no such thing as Jesus. No such thing as heaven. And the devil says, that won't work. That won't work. No, 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 no. Well, let's tell them that if they do all this work, they can get into heaven. He's like, no, 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 that won't work. It might help some. Some people will do a lot of work, and then they'll be lost. He said, but we need something better now. And one of the demons said, let's tell them if they say a prayer, just a prayer, they can be saved. And he says, yes, that'll work. They don't have to do anything. Just say the prayer. Now, I'm making this up. You may have heard it before. But isn't that what's going on in the church? We say a prayer, and I'm telling you, I tell you this all the time. I'm going to keep telling you this. We had a guy walk forward one Sunday. That's why I don't do altar calls. He said a prayer with the pastor. He literally jumped in the air, kicked his heels, and said, Cuckoo, can't touch me now, Satan. The next time I seen him was in the work release center when I was teaching there. Haven't seen him since. But the church has let people think that all they have to do is say a prayer and it's all over with. See, if you just say a prayer and the Holy Spirit comes in and seals you, the Holy Spirit is God. God wants to make you like Jesus, so the Holy Spirit's going to give you a desire to get into the word, prayer, and fellowship. The Holy Spirit's going to give you a desire to, to be a disciple who wants to learn and who wants to follow Jesus in the way. But if you just said a prayer and it wasn't real, you just go on with life as normal and say, well, I show up for church on Sunday. Yeah, falling for the second plan works. You're not saved by going to church. You get equipped going to church to learn what you're supposed to be doing when you go back to the world that's trying to kill you. 
Listen, true saving faith begins to go with God and to grow with God and to follow in the way that it's supposed to go. Doesn't mean you're not going to mess up. But if you know Jesus and you still do all the things you used to do, you're not going with God. You're being deceived. If you know Jesus and you think you're okay because of that first prayer and you don't have the evidence of salvation that is following, you may be deceived by the plan of the devil to trick you into some religious practice. There's transformation that comes. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. What does it say, Greg? I'd like to think of that right now. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. See, you, you, you begin to, the, the world behind you begins to fade away. They, they, they pass away. They're left in death. They're left in the grave. And you come out and you begin to become a new creation. You walk in the newness of life. You walk in a new and living way and you follow Jesus. It doesn't mean that you can't be stupid or, 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 or act like a fool and then do some of the things you used to do. But it'll leave a bad taste in your mouth. Paul says, writing to the church at Corinth, such were some of you, but you were sanctified. Are you being sanctified? Are you looking to follow after God? Did you hear of his wisdom, his mighty works performed by his hand, and then go, oh, it's God again. It's that God thing again. Oh, it's Jesus again. The carpenter. See how, see how these people that knew him, see, they watched Jesus grow up. Jesus, Jesus grew up in front of these people in Nazareth. And his dad, Joseph, was a carpenter. They believed that they made yokes or furniture. They're not sure. Nobody knows. But he wasn't raised to be a rabbi. And he's talking, as a carpenter, he's talking about spiritual things. See, in the culture, they were deceived into believing that only the rabbis talked about godly things. Only the rabbis would teach you about the kingdom of God. Only the rabbis would know that. And see, that's what we're deceived into believing in our culture entity. Only the pastor would be able to tell you about Jesus. But the Bible declares him. The word of God reveals him. He's available with his spirit for everybody. This is just my gifting to teach. But it's the whole body of Christ who should have a personal love relationship with him. God says, I hate the work of the Nicolaitans. See this little pulpit that goes up? That's the work of the Nicolaitans. See, down here is where we're all at. We're all on the same level at the cross. We're all sinners who need to be saved or have been saved by grace because of the blood of Jesus. Some people just pretend a little bit better that they're okay than others. Listen, the Nicolaitans, Nico means above. Oops, I went above. See, sometimes you go into church and it's way above. The laity, Nicolaitans, the laity is the lay people of the church. And, and, and they always want to act like this is much more knowledge than you can know. 
And that's the work of the Nicolaitans that God hates. I'm trying to tell you that followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, they pick up their Bible. And they cry out to God and say, I want to follow you. The devil's trying to get me to follow him. And I want to follow you. I want to be in the way with you, Jesus. And I want to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. And I want to see you in that day when they call the number up, up in heaven. I want to go with you for eternity, not be cast into hell. And then you get into these 66 books by 40 altars. You begin to read the Bible. You begin to pray to God. You begin to have fellowship with other people so you can learn uh, to be counseled by others and listen. Listen, we don't want nobody to tell us anything, do we? You don't have to echo that and go, amen, brother. See, that was a good place for amen because you're just like me. You could be standing there with your hand on a hot burner burning and somebody goes, hey, that's going to burn. You go, ah, I'm all right. I'm okay. No, you're burning. You're in hell's fire. You're burning up. I'm fine. Don't try to correct me. You're just a man like me. I'm pretty familiar with you. It's our pride. It's our sin nature. It's who we are. It's what the devil wants us to do. Don't listen. He's a carpenter. He's not a rabbi. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's look back at history. It all started with Abram. Abram wasn't a rabbi. His people were worshiping false gods, and God called him out. Let's talk about everybody else. Let's talk about Noah and Moses. Let's talk about all the judges in the book of Judges. Let's talk about all the prophets. None of them were with the establishment of religion. None of them were rabbis. They were all ordinary people that God called out. The only thing they had in common, you know what they had in common? They believed God and God accounted it for righteousness. They listened to God. They had a relationship with God. They were obedient to God and they went and told people what God told them. None of them. Not a one of them. Oh, wait a minute, let me, let me, wait a minute. Judas was, wasn't he? Judas was raised in the established, and he denied the Lord. Listen, if you listen to, to, to the world that's underneath the sway of the wicked one, and you follow that way, you're being deceived. We need to hear the voice of God. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Doesn't matter what kind of a PhD, I call that permanent head damage, PhD, listen, doesn't matter what you think you know. doesn't matter how smart you think you are. In fact, the smarter you think you are, the more you are in trouble. Because it's hard to humble yourself when you think you're smart. It's hard to ask for help when you think you're strong. It's hard to ask God to come and save me when you think you're okay. And it's really hard to ask a carpenter to tell me about Jesus. Ask some carpenter. I mean, you ain't used to that, are you? I ain't going to church. When you walk in, I walk in, clean people's carpet. I tell them about Jesus. They're not expecting that. But they're going to get that every single time. Every conversation that I have. Not because of who I am, because of who he is. Because of the mandate he's given us as a church to go tell everybody. Listen, God already knows. God already knows where your heart is. God already knows what's going on. This carpenter knew what they were going to do. 
Jesus knew when he went back to Nazareth what they were going to do. He knew the first time they were going to try to kill him. Might be just a little bit encapsulated picture of the nation of Israel, who the first time he came, they killed him. They crucified him. He knew that. He came for this purpose, to die for you and I. He loves you with a never-ending love. Never-ending love. They were astonished. They were amazed. It wasn't that he didn't do the things that he said. It wasn't that he didn't say the things. The problem was they knew him as a little boy. The problem was is they said, wait a minute. He's a carpenter. He's supposed to be doing what Joseph done. He's not supposed to be telling us about Jesus. He's the son of Mary which is pretty amazing in itself. You know, in the Bible, everywhere you find it, you're always going to find son of. And it's always going to give the father's name. So here's the, here's the conundrum. They've either got to say son of God or son of Mary. And they don't believe he's the son of God. So are they, they're calling him a carpenter. Stay with the text because it's not really the familiarity that's the bad thing. They're dishonoring him is the bad thing. They're calling him a carpenter, and they're calling him son of Mary because they're bringing to remembrance when Mary was overshadowed with the Holy Spirit and people gossiped and said she had sex with somebody outside of marriage. So they're, they're not mentioning the Father because they, they're acting like they don't know who the Father is. They're not mentioning the Father. They're mentioning Mary because of her indiscretion that they believed they had because they don't believe he's the virgin-born Son of God. And I don't know if you guys know it, but Mary, you know what Mary means? Their rebellion. And see, it's their rebellious hearts that's getting them in this place here. They don't want to believe in Jesus. They're believing. And see, we take it, we make Mary like she's this co-redemptress. We make Mary like she's this perpetual virgin. That's Catholic Church lying doctrine. It's false doctrine. It's not in the Bible. It's not there. Mary was a woman who's blessed among women because she was given the gift of being able to bear the Son of God in flesh, the Messiah. And we should honor her for that because God honored her in that way. But she's just like you and me. She's not a Nicolaitan. She's like you and me. The ground is level. She had to be there and believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And you know what? She wavered in her belief. She tried to come and get him with the rest of the family and say, come on, Jesus, you need to get a meal. She tried to believe him. It pierced her soul, Luke tells us, that these things were going on. And she couldn't understand, are you the Messiah? But quite possibly, Joseph is not in the picture anymore. Many people believe that he died. And so her sons would be taking care of her. That could be another reason why it says son of Mary, because Joseph isn't there. And he grew up without a dad. For those of you who grew up without a dad and you think that that's the worst thing that could happen. It's a very hard thing because God wants us to be in family. But the truth is the worst thing that can happen is you could go on not believing in Jesus Christ and get cast into hell and your father the devil would deceive you to where you burn for eternity. That's the worst thing that can happen. But they know him. They've seen him. He didn't go to Hebrew high. He didn't learn from Gamaliel. What's he doing trying to tell us something about God when he's not no better than us? 
Think about that because he's God in the flesh right in front of them. They were looking for a Messiah and reject him when he's right in front of them. They were looking for hope and hope himself is there. The blessed hope from heaven. And they know his brothers and sisters. So they were offended. Scandalized. That's what the word offended means. It's scandalizo. It means to scandalize. You know what it means? This familiarity and, 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 and this, this knowing who he was kept them from hearing from God. What? Listen to me. When you think it's the person that's speaking instead of the word of God, it might keep you from hearing from God because you don't like the manner in which I deliver the word of God. But truth is truth. It might keep you from hearing from God, and it might scandalize you and offend you in the way that I teach it. But truth is truth. In our country, we have people that, that, that will drive to a church, and if the pastor's not there, they'll go home. As if the pastor was who they came to see. That's not coming to see God. That's being familiar with a pastor. That's being familiar with a religious exercise. If you're really coming to hear from God, it doesn't matter who's speaking. God put him in the pulpit that day. God is the one that's speaking through him. If it's the word of God, you need to take it and chew on it and be a Berean and search it out and say, does this apply to me? And how do I keep from going to hell with this information? How do I receive the gift of God, the love of God, with this information? Listen, they were familiar, and it breeded contempt. But the problem was is that they would not honor him as being used by God, being the Messiah of God. Look at verse 4. But Jesus said to them, this is Jesus speaking. It's in red if it's in your Bible. It's black and white in mine. A prophet, that's someone who foretells the truth of God, is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. That's quite amazing, because Jesus calls himself a prophet, and Moses said um, that God would raise up a prophet unto himself, and all who uh, do not listen to him shall be cast into hell. I'm paraphrasing. He's a prophet, and he has no honor in his own country. Happens all the time. His relatives don't want to believe it. They're too close to him. They've seen him as a child and his own house. Now, the Bible tells us, now this is, this is really speaking of his own city in Nazareth, but the Bible also tells us in John 1, 11 and 12, that Jesus came to his own, his own country, the nation of Israel, and his own did not receive him. Remember, they crucified him. But to as many as received him, he gave the right. Listen, the word right in the King James is he gave the power to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And name always means his character, his nature, his will. It means his authority. They believed that he was the Messiah and he had authority to save souls. He had authority been commissioned in him to go and die for the sins of the world. So, again, this verse, the prophet without honor. That's the big deal. They're not honoring him as the Messiah. They're not giving him honor for who he is. It means to despise him. 
They despised him. They were angry with him. They couldn't receive that God would use him as the Messiah. After all, he's a carpenter. But again, I tell you that that's common throughout the scriptures, that God took a common man. I could name them all day long. Go read in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Faith. And that's what Paul says when he's writing, my opinion, the book of Hebrews, as he outlines all of these men of faith who died in faith. And then he says, there's just too many names, too many, because every person that follows God has to do it by faith, confident trust that God is doing what he said he was going to do. Verse 5, now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Wow. Couldn't do it. Now, was the power of God hindered? Wasn't God still all-powerful? Wasn't he still all-knowing? Didn't he still have all the power? Yes. Yes. God was still capable of it, but they wouldn't allow it. Listen, God's will was to save the whole world. He died for the whole world for whomsoever. That none would perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But it has to be a sovereign act of your will. You have to choose to believe or not believe. In order for that power to cover you. In order for the blood to redeem you. In order for new life to start. The ball is in your court, as they say. Notice why he couldn't do any mighty works. And he marveled. Marveled means he wondered. He, he, he looked at it. Because think about it. Think about it. Let me just stop for a minute. Marveling. Let me live marvel for you. Just for a moment. Marvel for you. If you were in debt, like a couple million dollars, and you're working for $10 an hour at the grocery store, you're looking like there's no hope. I'm never going to pay this couple million dollars off. I mean, I'm making $10 an hour. I'm sending them like $20 a month. There's no hope. And then somebody walks in and says, hey, here, I'm just going to pay that $2 million off for you. This is a small, very minute example of what happened. Because that $2 million that you owed somebody personally wasn't going to send you to hell. But it kept you in a place in your spirit, in your soul, your mind, will, and emotion where you felt like you was always under and you couldn't get free. You couldn't have rest. You couldn't live life. Now compare it to getting cast into hell or getting to go to heaven. And as a debt you couldn't pay. And Christ walks up and says, here, I'm paying it fully for you. Now, with that full payment, I can live life and that more abundantly. I can rest. I can have peace. I can get up and truly live instead of being buried underneath the weight of a debt that I can't pay. That's your sin debt. There's no way to pay for your sin. You can't do enough work. You can't say enough prayers. All you can do is believe. And I think God marvels, marvels that we wouldn't say, yes, please, let me have more. 
Yes, please. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be punished. I don't want to be burdened underneath the weight of all this sin and all this stuff in life. Yes, please. I think he marvels that he would give such a great gift and set us free to be with him for eternity. And we go, I don't think I believe that. I think I like my sin much more. I think I'll just stay underneath the weight of this and just keep dying. I think I'll just be a fool and say, no, God, I don't want that gift. No, thank you. That's what the devil wants us to do. That's what our flesh wants us to do. That's what the world teaches us to do. That's your three enemies. But Christ, the Holy Spirit, pleads with us to be reconciled with God. And then the church that are truly the disciples of God, those that are following God, it's just, we are ambassadors for Christ. As if God was pleading through us, be reconciled to God. It's freely given and freely received, but it's an act of your will. You can choose to say, no, I don't believe. And notice what it is. He marveled, verse 6, because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Notice how, how, to me, that's a, what can he do? He's not going to force himself upon them. Well, he's all powerful. Yes, he could force, but then he would have robots. He wants you to freely choose his love, freely choose to believe. I mean, it's like, I really, seriously, I'm reading it and I'm like, are you kidding me? The God of the universe they won't believe, so he goes about doing what he was doing anyway? Yes, that's it. What else can we do? If you're witnessing to somebody and you reject and decide for yourself that you're not worthy of the salvation of God, what do you want me to do? Kick you? Beat you? Force you? How do you force somebody to live for God and receive this free gift and not go to hell? You can't force it upon somebody. So what does he do? He goes about doing just what he's always done, teaching. He goes and tells some people that will listen. That's what we're commanded to do. Tell everybody. But you don't stand around and waste your time to somebody that's not listening. You tell everybody and let, the God, let God sort it out. He marvels at their unbelief. And listen, what unbelief is. Unbelief is faithlessness. No faith. He marvels that they have no faith disbelief for want of christian faith unfaithfulness hey, here it is here it is disobedience disobedience all you have to do is obey and believe just receive it he's given anyone who will receive it the power to become children of god the right the privilege to be children of god anyone whomsoever now i know people teach other things but god said i'm dying for everyone it's my will that everyone would come and i'm giving you the privilege and the right and all you have to do is believe and trust me that i got this that i'm perfect and you can receive it you can be in my family you can live with me for eternity and then I'll begin to sanctify and cleanse you with the washing of the water through the word. Your soul, your mind, will, and emotions. See, our mind, will, and emotions are messed up. They're real. Your mind, will, and emotions, they're real. 
but they've been brought about out of sin. They've been tampered with by the devil. They've been hurt by the world. They've been beat up by your choices. And God says, I'm going to change all of that and make them new. I'm going to give you newness of life if you'll begin to follow a new roadmap, a new Emmanuel, if you will. If you'll come into a new and living way, I'll change the way you feel. I'll change the way you think. I will change your mind about how to live. He marveled at their unbelief, their faithlessness. He marveled. We marvel today about unbelief. So then he goes about the villages in a circuit teaching. You teach believers, instruct believers, people who say, oh, I believe. I said a prayer. You teach them how to go further and learn to follow and be a disciple. And then you watch those people and you see whether they're bearing fruit, whether they're growing. And you know what the fruit looks like? You become a servant. You become one who is taking the gospel to others. You become one who is growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people well, you can teach for years and years and years and they do nothing different. It's because they're not true converts. They're not true believers. They have demonic faith. It's that simple. Because if, if, if the Spirit of God lives in somebody and they receive more of the Word of God, it's going to grow up and produce fruit. And the fruit is going to look like love. God is love. He's completely love. And it's going to have joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And against such there is no law. And as people grow, these are the things you want to look for in your life. If you're not seeing these things in your life, you need to go back to the cross, back to Jesus, and say, why am I not seeing the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Well, it might be because you said a prayer, but you kept following the other way. You kept doing what the world is doing and what your flesh likes to do. And you didn't humble yourself and begin to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow after Jesus every day. Because it's a daily dying. That's what Paul says. I die daily. See, because every morning I get up and I want to go work. I'm not going to work anymore. I'm serious. Now, this is when you when you roll out of bed at five thirty in the morning and your body's aching and you're getting older. You can think, I don't want to go to work. Bible says, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. So you obey righteousness and you become a model of what it means to live for God, and you do it because of who God is. And you know, as you do it, He gives you strength to do it. But if you want to lay on your back, He'll let you lay on your back. He's not going to force his will upon you. And you'll be a bad witness for, for, for God as you say, oh, I'm a Christian. Well, where's the evidence? Where's the fruit? I mean, as we go about as the fruit of love, these people wanted to be. People who, who knew Jesus, and they were following him everywhere. Now, some for other reasons. These in his family that knew him, they're like, I don't need no carpentry work done, dude. Quit preaching to me, dude. 
Why are you telling me about godly things? You're not a preacher. You're not even from the tribe of Levi. You're not a rabbi. They were too familiar, so they wouldn't listen. They were having their sights set upon the man and not the God who was making a provision for their salvation, the Messiah. And that's what we do down here. We focus on the man. And as soon as the man says something that we don't like and it steps on our toes, we go, I'm going somewhere else, going to another pastor, going to another church. And we get real familiar and we dishonor the teaching of the word of God. Listen, it's about Jesus. It's about God. It's about His Word. It's not about which denomination you belong to, which church you go to. In fact, you're not going to find a perfect one. We need to grow up in the faith and understand that we're trying to be equipped and hear from God, not from a man. If you come here to hear from me, you are in a bad place in your Christian walk. If you come here to hear something I got to say, you are in a very, very, very bad place. But if you come here to hear from God, the Spirit of God, to have a relationship with God so you can go out and do the work of God for the glory of God. That's what you're supposed to be here for. And if you're not hearing that from God, then you need to flee very quickly. You need to go to a different church if you don't hear the Word of God. If you're in a church and you're not hearing the Word of God taught, you need to get out of it regardless of what's going on. Because there's a cultural system that looks like the church and it's as false as the day is long it's run by the devil we call it the synagogues of satan because it's the plan of satan to deceive you and take you to hell with him and you never to grow i said a prayer i'm okay i don't have to do anything else jesus is teaching and what does jesus want to do that jesus is our example right Jesus is the one that is our forerunner. He's the first fruits. He's the one that went first. And then he wants us to be like him. He's the model, you might say. He's the stamp, if you will. He's the example of what godliness looks like and what Christians should be. After all, we're called Christians, right? Well, they were first called Christians in Antioch because they were Christ-like. Right? So what does he do? He wants to make disciples that he instructs and they learn to be like him. So what does he do next? He calls people to himself and then he says, this is who I am. Go and do it. Watch. It's our next verse. It's, chapter, or it's verse 7. And he called. Are you picking up the phone? He's calling. He called the 12 to himself. And Judas was in the group still and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them power, dudamus, over unclean spirits. He gave them power. It's actually not dudamus. I apologize. It, it, means, it means the sense of ability. It means privilege. It means a competency to do the work of the ministry. It means freedom and mastery over. And it means, uh, the, Paul uses it in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 about the devil, how he gave him delegated influence over the demons, delegated influence. Listen, he called them to himself, and then he began to send them out. He's training them. He sends them out two by two. You know why? Because the Bible says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a matter be established. Now, there's other reasons. You've got fellowship. You've got somebody to keep you accountable. Two is stronger than one. And if you've got God with you, then you've got a quarter of three strands. There's a lot of things going on. 
But the main reason was, is that when Peter was sharing, there was James going, "Uh uh-huh, and Jesus said, "Uh uh-huh, and Jesus said, "Uh uh-huh, and Jesus said. They're not going, hey, how how you guys doing? We're a new ministry on the street, and we're going to tell you about what we think. No, no, they're going, and Jesus said, and it's written, and Jesus said, and Jesus said. Because if you've got a message of your own, and it's got nothing to do with Jesus, you don't need no witness. You need a straitjacket. Because it ain't going to help nobody. So he sends them out in twos. And he gave them this power, this privilege over unclean spirits. Demon spirits, lewd, foul, demonic spirits. Why? Because he had power over demons. And he wants them to be like him. And what's he doing as he commissions them and he sends them out? Let me get this to you. See, because his people, his own family, and his own country, his own house, they don't believe. These guys have believed, and they want to be disciples. They want to learn. They were the outcast of society. And he's training them to trust him. He's training him them that they can believe in him and have faith in him. They've been with him for almost three years now following him, and they've seen his mighty works. They've seen and heard, and they're learning, and they're growing. And now it's time to get out of the nest and go and tell somebody else. So what does he do in verse 8? He commanded. That's to give a charge, transmit a message. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff. Think about that for a minute. He commanded them to have faith. He's teaching them that I will provide. You go and I've already went before you and the provision will be there. He's teaching them to grow their faith. The staff was just for direction. The staff was just for getting through. No bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts. It says script in the King James. You know what? I'm looking up and go, script, script. See, a lot of times they had these skirts on and they would just flip it up and they'd make a little wallet right here and they keep their money in their waistband there. It'd make like a little wallet. Listen, and it says script. And I'm like, script? Talking about a prescription? What's it talking about? Script? Oh, I got it all written down here. Let me tell you what this is, says here. A script, you know, you got a script when you're playing a play. I look it up and it means a wallet. Who knows? I mean, I don't know King James or old. <laughs> I was like, I was trying to figure out what in the world's a script. Because, you know, you had a script. Uh, where, where you go to the first church of, and uh, you got to dress this way, and you got to do this. And I got my script here. I'm telling them, you got to listen to what Pastor Jim says, and you got to do what. And you got a script of things. No, 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 no. Relationship, not a script. And you learn to trust him. And when you go out and you don't have the normal things, listen to me. This is very important. They didn't, he told them purposely, don't make your own plans. Purposely, don't pack a bag. Purposely, don't take no money with you. Purposely, he told them, go with nothing. No preconceived notions. You go just wanting to tell them to repent. Purposely, so they would fit in. Two tunics, two tunics look like you got a little bit of money. You're better than them. See, that's why I always say, if you're going to be a pastor, you have to live at the same means of the people. You cannot wear a $10,000 suit and preach to somebody the word of faith. If you just give me your money, we'll all have money, except you, because you'll be broke, fool. I don't know where it came from, but it's the truth. 
It's the truth, and these pastors are preaching it, and people sit there with nothing and give their little bit of nothing to some fool wearing a $10,000 suit who's lying to them. And they'll do that before they'll believe in the one true God who came to earth and dressed like them. He had one garment. He had no house. The foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He became poor like us. But we'll listen to some fool across town in a $10,000 suit lie to you and take your money and drive a Bentley and go, I'm pretty spiritual. No, you're pretty on your way to hell because you're not believing in God. God's economy is not in money. God's economy is in souls. That's why he gave his most prized possession, his son, to save your soul. He didn't need your wallet. He doesn't need money. He owns everything. He's not after your money. He's after your heart. He wants you to follow him so he can lead you out of death. He can lead you out of the grave. He can lead you out of sin. He can lead you away from the devil. He can lead you into heaven. Yet we keep following the lie. And we think it's going to get better. He wants you to trust Him. You don't need a bag. You don't need any money. You don't need any other bread. You don't need to worry about how you're going to eat. You don't need to worry about your shoes. You don't need to worry about your clothing. It's Matthew 6.33, if you will. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things shall be added to you. And these men were being trained to go out and tell them the message of repentance. The message that the kingdom of God is here. The message that you can be saved in the provision of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And there's two classes of people, those who believe it and those who don't. Those who believe it become disciples and they follow him and they learn and they grow. And those who don't, they may sit in a church, but they never change anything. They keep doing what they've always done and they think they're okay because they went to a building. They think they're okay because they said a prayer. But if there's no fruit of repentance and a changed life, there's no spirit in that person. It's that simple. Because the spirit, where the spirit is, there is life. Where the Spirit of God is, there is life. And if there's no life, then there's no Spirit. Verse 10. Also, He said to them, this is very important because the, His sheep, His disciples, want to hear the voice of God. He's still speaking. In whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. Matthew tells you you're supposed to go there. You're supposed to search out who's worthy. For search out, you know, maybe other believers, other people that were that show great hospitality. It was part of the culture, and then you're supposed to be content with it. Listen, they might put you up in a barn, and you're like a barn. And then you go to synagogue and you're teaching, or you go to town and you're teaching, and here's somebody with a little bit more money, they're dressing pretty good, and they go, "Hey, I got a nice room, upper room. You can come stay there." You go, oh, yeah, I'm a jockey for position here. I'm going to move into this upper room instead of the barn. I, listen, God says, God tells us, Peter, or excuse me, uh, Paul tells Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. 
So he's telling them to learn to be content with the provision that they find, the decisions that they make, to stand in them. Don't be moving. Go to one house, stay there. I'll provide for you right there. Plant yourself in a church. Plant yourself in a body of people. You're not going to find a perfect one. You're not going to because we got a whole bunch of imperfect people. Everywhere you go, you're going to be there. That's profound. And it's you that God's working on. Doesn't matter where you're at, whether you're in a church, whether you're in a drug house, it doesn't matter if you're at work, you're in the backyard, the front yard, God is still loving you, working on you. He wants to call you. He wants to, He has already died for you. And you can keep running or you can surrender and believe. So he tells them to stay wherever they go, to build some roots, because the family of God is about having roots. The kingdom of God is about permanency. It's not about running all over the place and finding some place you feel comfortable so you can hide in the back and never do anything and you can keep living the way you are and nobody will ever know because it's about being pleasing to God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God for you first must believe that He is and He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Are you diligently seeking Him? He'll reward you. Wait. Verse 11. And whoever will not receive you, nor hear you. Why, why they got to hear? Receive. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you depart from there. So you're talking to somebody. You're going, hey, here's the word of God. Jesus told me to tell you. And they don't receive you. They don't want to hear it. No, I don't want to hear it. When you depart from them, he says, shake the dust off from your feet as a witness, as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it would be more tolerable. Look at that. More tolerable. More tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. In other words, if they go to a city and they're preaching Jesus and the rulers of the synagogue and other people, they say, hey, get out of here. Get out of here. We don't believe in this Jesus guy. They were supposed to, as a witness, you kick the dust off your feet. And, and that means you don't even want none of their city on you. You don't want nothing. It's a testimony against them. And listen to what he said about people who don't believe, the people who do not receive. Worse than Sodom and Gomorrah? Are you kidding me? He burnt them up. But unbelief is worse than sodomy. Unbelief is worse than their sexual sin. Unbelief is worse than them trying to kill the prophets of God and the angels. Unbelief is worse, is what he just said. Pay attention to it. Because, see, we always go, well, Sodom and Gomorrah. Wait a minute. It's worse to be unbelieving and not to trust God and follow God and live for God. It's worse to have demonic faith and never obey God than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah, who he burned up pretty quick. But he gave them a plenty of time to repent because God's a long-suffering God. And that's why the devil wants us to believe that we can just say a prayer and it'll be okay. Because he can keep us in unbelief. Because belief and faith in God follows God. Belief and faith in God becomes a disciple of God. Belief and faith in God begins to obey God. And you become transformed by God for the glory of God. But in unbelief, we keep doing what we've always done. And we say, well, I said that prayer. 
and the church sets around, the church, the culture entity is what I call it, and they affirm people that said a prayer but never change. They affirm people that said a prayer but they never repent. They affirm people that said a prayer but they never do anything different. And the Bible does not promote that. The Bible promotes us to become new creations. Look, this is what they did. Here's these obedient disciples. They weren't perfect. Peter always had his foot in his mouth. So they went out. Why? Because he called them and sent them. So they obeyed. And they preached because you preach to unbelievers. You teach believers. We're teaching and preaching right now because there's probably believers and unbelievers in the room. But you teach believers because they're disciples who want to be instructed so they can go and learn to obey. And you preach to unbelievers because they first have to hear so that they can come to the faith. So what did they preach? They preached that you should tithe. You should put some money in the box because I got to get a new suit. They preached that you should go to the poor and you should run the soup kitchen. I'm sorry, I get a little excited. Of course I'm crazy. I'm trying to get your attention here. They preached repentance, which was the first word of the gospel that Jesus said, that John the Baptist said. It's always been the gospel. Why? Because we're living this way, and we have to turn around and turn to God and repent. We have to go the other way. It means a change of mind a change of direction, a change of your truth. You've been following a lie. And when you repent, listen to me, if you're doing this over here and I say you're digging wrong and I say dig this way and you change your mind and you start digging right, then you're doing the whole right, right? So if you're living life all the way wrong and then you go, I repent, God, I want to follow you. And then you keep digging the hole the same way. See, I work with people like that. You instruct them. You say, no, that's not the way to do it. You need to do it this way. I don't mean at this job. I'm talking about other places. My wife's shaking her head. No, like, you can't say that about your people you're working with. They might listen. No, I'm just giving an analogy. Listen, people say, okay, oh, I'll do it that way. And then they go on doing it the same exact way. That's not repentance. That's not turning to God. That's not looking for instruction from God so you can learn to do it the right way. That's keeping doing it the same way. That's good old-fashioned sin. That's good old-fashioned old nature. When you turn to God, He gives you a new and living way. He gives you instruction to stop digging that way. You're digging a grave. Start climbing over here to find His good graces and to live for Him. But you have to turn. You can't go on doing what you've always done. Repent means to think differently afterwards and reconsider. Now, this is not... The word metanoia, which is a reformation. That's something that's going on too. You're, you're learning the newness of life. And you're continuing in your mind, will, and emotion. See, your spirit automatically, positionally is right with God when you believe in your heart. Not if you're in unbelief. But then metanoia happens as you begin to obey your, 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 your uh, soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions. They begin to line up with God. And then you're going because he sent you. Then you're telling them the message that he gave you, not talking about yourself. That's being a witness. That's giving evidence. That's giving testimony of who God is. Not who the church is. Not who your denomination is. Well, what happens when people preach, repent? Some will believe and some won't. 
But notice their faith. Notice what happens because he gave them this power. He gave them this authority. He gave them this privilege. Verse 13, and we'll close. And they cast out many demons. I love the way the Bible always does that. First they call them unclean spirits, and then when they go to do it, they call them a demon. You ever seen that? Probably King James didn't look. At, I'm sure if you have a King James, it says devils. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. See that? They're doing exactly what Jesus did. They're following his example because they're faithful to go. The Father sent him and he's faithful to go. Think about it. We have to go. Real faith goes. James says, Jesus' half-brother James said, that true saving faith has works with it. You go. But if it doesn't have any going and growing in it, it's not real faith. You're deceiving yourself. Just to go to church and just to sit and listen to me scream and yell and rant and rave, that's not going to get you saved. You have to get into the Word yourself. Start reading it. Start having a personal relationship. Start praying. Start talking to God about the Scripture. He wants to uncover it to your heart. He might not make you a preacher. You might just be some, some other gift in the body. There's Every part of the body is here. There's legs. There's, there, 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 there's feet. There's, there's hands. There's workers in every place. But if you are a preacher, we'll send you out. We'll send you to another town. We'll be happy to send more preachers out. I would love to send people, go to Attica, I don't care, they need Jesus. Go to Texas, they need preachers. But notice they anointed him with oil, those who were sick, and he healed them. And I bring that up because it really wasn't the oil. The oils were good, I mean, oil is good. Uh, but it was, Look. well, look at James, let's look at James. Finally, let's get over there. I wanted to go there several times. Never did get there. But James 5, um, 14. Is anyone among you sick? Means weak and feeble. Let him call for the elders. Notice it's got an S on it. Of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Listen to me. In the name of the Lord. Listen to me. They went out in the name of Jesus. And when you pray for somebody who's sick, you ask elders to do it. More than one. It's not your TV show. It's not your ministry. It's not your kingdom. And these false faith healers, they just want attention. They just want the money. But notice he said elders here. So if you're sick and we ask you to come forward, we'll pray for you. and We anoint you with all lay hands on you. It's plural. That way, nobody gets the credit for it as we're praying because God's the one doing it anyway. We're just obeying God. But notice it's in the name. Name, again, is always character, nature, and will. It's always the authority of God. When you go out, when you go wherever you're going, they were sent out in the name of Jesus, in the name of God. You're doing it for the name. You're not doing it for your own glory. You're doing it for His kingdom. Yeah, I wanted to take you over into John. Maybe we'll get to that next week. If you want to read, you can go read in John. Um, read John chapter 12. Looking for my notes. Verses uh, 37 through 50. 
If you want to know how you're going to be judged, what's going to judge you, it's this word right here. This is what's going to be judged by. It's like, oh, I get this crazy test tomorrow, and I got to apply for this job, and I'm going to be, ah, oh, and I get this, ah, oh, and, 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 and they give you a manual to study. Here it is. I want to know. I want to know if I'm right with God. I want to know what salvation is. I want to know what's going on. Here it is. Go read John chapter 12. This book is what he's going to judge with. This book. Well, that's all messed up. No, it's not. Show me a contradiction. Nothing wrong with this book. Nothing wrong with this book. And if there's anything wrong with this book, man did it. But God's capable of fixing it. Listen to me. He's not God if he can't take care of his own book, his own love letter. He's not God. That means somebody else kept him from it. So they're God. He's God. This book is all you need is to spend time in it with him and draw near to him. And he'll teach you. It's good medicine. Don't believe the lies where people say, oh, it's full of contradiction. I just say, show me one. Most people are just repeating what their grandma told them. And they ain't one. Just like uh, in this text, there's a supposed contradiction. Because they try to compare Luke 4, where Jesus went to Nazareth, and they tried to throw him off a cliff with this text. It's two different visits to Nazareth. One at the beginning of his ministry and one at the end. He gave him another chance before he went to the cross to receive him. But again, he came to his own, the nation of Israel, to his own family. And they wouldn't receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave the privilege, the right, the power to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name. You have to believe in his name. Unbelief is going to be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. But when you believe, you trust in the name of Jesus. The name above all names. The name that was the anointed of God for the provision of the sin nature. See, I was going to take you into two different places, which, by the way, John 12, if you're in the schedule with us, you're like, oh, well, that's what we're supposed to read tonight anyway. I was going to take you also to 2 Kings chapter 18. Oh, that's what we're supposed to read tonight anyway, where Hezekiah comes in. And you know what he did first? He, he dealt with reforms. Hezekiah chapter 18, 2 Kings. What was his first reform? Remember Nathushabah, or whatever it is, however you say it, it's the bronze serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness. When they were being bitten by snakes because they were grumbling and complaining and they weren't following God and they were mad because the food wasn't right and, and who in the world set up the tables, these things are out of order. And Anyway, because they were complaining, these snakes started biting them. It's a type of the serpent biting us and giving us the sin nature. And, and God said, Moses cried out, boom, hit the sand, crying out, praying for the people. And God said, make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole and lift it up. And everyone who looks at that bronze serpent will be saved from the snakes. Well, they, they looked at the bronze serpent, they were saved, and then they started worshiping it. They were making offerings to it. So the first thing Hezekiah did was crushed it up and ground it up and burn it up and got rid of it because it became an idol. 
See, we're doing that in our culture today. If you look to the cross, the cross was the method of death. We worship Jesus, not a cross. Everybody thinks, I got a cross on, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. No, you're too familiar with some lying story from culturanity. has nothing to do with salvation. It's the blood of Jesus that saves you. And we need to just burn that, them crosses that are on our neck, melt them back down, and, and sell them and get you some money to do something else with it. But people worship the cross. And it's really always about God's provision that we're looking for. He's a good father. He provides all you need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. It's not about the cross. It's about God who come to earth and died on a cross and poured out his blood and gave us his righteousness freely to all who will believe. And I pray that's you. But if you believe, you begin to follow and obey And none of us do it perfectly, but we're learning to be perfected. None of us are sinless, but we're learning to sin less as we follow. But if you're still living in the world and following the world and listening to their prophets, you're following false prophets. You need to listen to Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for your goodness in the land of the living. We know we don't deserve it, Lord. Thank you. Now that we have it, Lord, we pray that you would help us to realize that we have power. We have privilege. We have the right in your house. We have an inheritance, and we can go tell others of it. We can be a witness. We can be living evidence of your great mercy and your great grace. But help us to remember that you are God. You are holy. And help us not to become so complacent, so familiar, that we become content and we do nothing except set on our inheritance. Lord, we know what will happen. You'll come and take that from us and you'll give it to someone else. And you'll Give us our part with the rest of the sons of disobedience. So give us a desire, Lord, to draw near, to be in the word, prayer, and fellowship, and to follow close behind you and to obey. Lord, help us. We believe, but help our unbelief. We desire to be perfected until the day that we see you. So sanctify our mind, will, and emotions, so that we would make decisions based upon your word for your glory for such a time as this. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you.